Lord, we thank you that you are our source of life. Lord, I thank you that um, we are confident this morning that you desire to speak to us through your word. So Holy Spirit, come now. Illuminate our hearts and our minds to John chapter 15. Show us what it means to be in you. Remind us of our sonship and our daughtership in you. Remind us that we are yours. Holy Spirit, would you come now and remove all obstacles, including myself, Lord, that you may speak to us, your beloved daughters and sons. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I don't know if you remember uh, being a kid uh, and thinking about flying. Remember those dreams? Like you just wanted to float. There was something about being in the air that just, it was just a part of who we are, right? Like as children, this is why we are attracted to Superman and Wonder Woman. There's something innate in us that wants to fly. Uh, And if we're lucky enough, our parents will sit us down at some point and they'll say, son, daughter, you cannot, as it were, fly. You are not going to be able to float through the air if you jump off the second story it might not go so well. Well, there was a a young boy uh, from Wales named John Williams. No one had passed this information on to him. So one day as he was walking along uh, the wall, he decided this was his time to float effortlessly through the air. And a biographer said this about him. I think it's amazing. Mr. Williams that day suffered an adventitious mischance. As you can imagine, his long coat that he thought would billow out and he would just start floating through the air didn't do anything. He landed on a rock below. Now, good news, he remained in life for 71 more years. He became the Archbishop of York. But that day, he learned a very important lesson. Human beings in and of themselves are not meant to fly. We cannot fly as humans unless we are in something else. We must be in an airplane. We must be in a helicopter. We must be in an Iron Man suit, okay? (laughs) We have to be in something else to be able to fly. And this morning, Jesus turns our attention to an agricultural metaphor in John chapter 15 to teach us what it means to be in Christ. So if you'll turn with me to John 15 together. Now, Jesus is probably on a walkabout with his disciples at this point. He may be close to the temple gate. There's probably a vineyard close by. And he's in the, um, this is the last of his seven I am statements in the gospel of John. And he says this, I am the true vine. So he's in the middle of his farewell discourse. These are Jesus's last minute instructions. This is his best dish to his disciples. Remember, Jesus is going to be crucified very soon. If I asked you right now what the national symbol of Israel is, in your mind's eye, what do you see? You might see a star of David, menorah. Well, what about a vine? In the Old Testament, the vine is likened unto Israel over and over again. In fact, the vine appeared on coins representing Israel. Um, Over the entrance to the temple, the very place where the Spirit of God dwelt, there hung a gigantic vine made of pure gold. The vine was the symbol of Israel in the same way that if you look at a bald eagle, you think, what? 
America. That's right, America. Psalm 80, verses 8 says this, You have brought a vine out of Egypt, and you have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its bows. Jesus, the master illustrator, knows exactly what he's doing here. He's using this vine metaphor on purpose. Now, when Jesus says that he's the true vine, I think what he's doing is he's wrapping up these I am statements in a perfect, concise bow. He's saying, here you go. This is me. This is the last of the I am statements. He's saying that salvation can be found nowhere else. In 14.6, he says it this way. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. And now in 15.1, he's saying it this way. He is the true vine, the only vine. Then he goes on to say, and my father is the vine dresser. He's the vintner. He's the grape farmer. I don't know if you know much about vineyards, uh, but for any vineyard to succeed, it needs an Aggie, naturally. Okay? <laughs> Can't believe I didn't wear my ring today. Wow. For any vineyard to succeed, it needs an Aggie. That's what the NCSV says, the New College Station version. <laughs> We're not that good at football, but man, we can grow some grapes. Okay? The vine dresser, the grape farmer, is one who is constantly about the work of the vines. They provide whatever is necessary to stimulate growth. Uh, maybe they are providing fertilizer at the exact right spot in the exact right time of the season. They're protecting the vine from things which would hinder growth like root rot, rodents. The vine dresser also purifies, meaning he or she does whatever is necessary to promote fruit growth. And Jesus' metaphor would have made immediate sense to them. It's likely that they're standing next to a vineyard at this point on their walkabout. But for us, um, we, we probably didn't take viticulturalist uh, continuing ed courses. If we've been to a vineyard, probably the farthest you've been in is the tasting room, right? But for our purposes this morning, um, us not being vineyard owners or viticulturalists, just know that the vine dresser is the farmer. He is the husbandman of these grapes. He's doing everything that he can to care for them, to provide for them, to protect them, and to purify them. So now Jesus goes on in verse 2 to talk about us, the branches. Look what he says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Um, you might be squirming in your seats at this point. And if you are, welcome to the club. Verse 2 is difficult. What does Jesus mean when he says that he will remove or take away or cut off the branches that aren't producing fruit? Um, it could certainly mean that the king of the universe would take some branches according to his divine prerogative and cut them off and throw them in a burn pile. That, that's certainly possible here. But I don't think that's what he's saying. Every branch where? In me. The Greek word here is iro. It can be translated lift up. In fact, two-thirds of the options in English, they have this idea of lifting up, carrying, bearing, raising up imagery. And in viticulture, this is where our ag thing comes in, 
it's common for certain branches to go low. And they go low and they get into the dirt. And the dirt and the soil covers it. So what happens is they are deprived of what they need. They, they need oxygen and sunlight. And so the good farmer, he stoops down like this, guys. And he gets his hands in the dirt and he grabs that errant branch and he lifts it up and he puts it back on the trellis. And he exposes it to oxygen and sunlight so that it can be what it's really meant to be. As branches, we are meant to bear fruit, okay? Make no mistake about it. We are meant to bear fruit and to bear much fruit, as you'll say later on in our passage. And so I think for us so far, the picture here is not of a vengeful God that's waiting to cut us off. It's a picture of a loving and merciful God who is lifting us up. He's giving us everything that we need for life and light. Then he goes on in verse 3. Or sorry, verse 2 still. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Um, One of my favorite preachers, and whom I owe much of this sermon to, said it this way. I think most of us would like for this passage to read, And every branch that does bear fruit, God is perfectly satisfied with and leaves alone. (laughs) Right? Like, you're coming to church regularly, you're tithing, you, you do she reads truth, he reads truth, you got all the Instagram stuff, you're doing all the right stuff. Just... Let me be. Don't cut anymore. But he said that the branches which are already bearing fruit will need to get cut on and cleaned up. Why? So that they can be who they really are. That they would bear more fruit. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. Now, at first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the links in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you expected. He's throwing up a new wing here. He's adding a level here. He's running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent country cottage. But he is building a palace. Nobody likes hearing this, but this is what sanctification is. Jesus is making us into who we really are. And that takes cleaning. It takes cutting. It takes moving this over here. It takes demolishing this. It means we're adding a floor. And sometimes it's not that comfortable. Verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Um, There are some amazing, beautiful, uh, theology-filled rabbit trails that I really want to go down right now. But for our sakes, so far, what we need to understand this morning is that all the work that's being done so far is done by the vine and the vine dresser. The branches, us, we haven't done anything yet, okay? So what about us? What's our responsibility? Anybody wondering that yet? What's my job description, Jesus? I need a job description. I need you to tell me what to do. Here it is, verse four. Abide in me. Well, that is not that helpful. 
What does this mean? Abide? Here's some other ways to translate the Greek word minnow there. To remain, to stay close, to dwell with, to live. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen to this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So specifically in our ag metaphor, Jesus is saying that the only work that we have to do is to remain, to abide. Okay, well, again, Britt, not that helpful. You didn't tell me what to do. That's not a job. There's no description of how to accomplish this thing called abiding or remaining, right? Like we want to do something. We're Americans. We're, well, we're better than Americans. We're Texans, okay? <laughs> we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, manifest destiny. This is what we do. We create, we create things out of nothing. First Texans chapter 3, verse 16 says it this way. <laughs> God only helps those who help themselves. And we laugh, but it's what we do, isn't it? And it's so unbiblical. And it's antithetical to the gospel. And we're guilty of it every single day. Abide in me and I in you. So what we do, as good Texans, we work, we strive, we try to produce and contrive. But hear this. Jesus never commands us to produce fruit. The command for us is to abide, to remain. Now, I know everybody likes a good uh, word picture here. I brought a branch from my house. Um, And when I look out at you all, I see a lot of postgraduate degrees. I see some very successful, smart people. If we all got together, if we did some, uh, you know, brainstorming, we did a few things, we spent a couple hours in the conference room, do you guys think that we could produce fruit from this thing? No? We could maybe uh, super glue a pecan on. We could duct tape an apple. We, We could try, we could make it look as if it was producing fruit, but it would not be producing fruit. Why? It's been cut off from the source. The branch could try and do everything in its own power, but it would never produce a pecan. And we are the same way, guys. As the branches, we can do nothing on our own. When we let religion rule instead of relationship, when we try to produce fruit on our own, nothing happens. Nothing good ever comes from this, of our striving. Again, Jesus never commands us to bear fruit. He says to remain, stay close to me, dwell with me. And so I think what's really important for us is to remember that bearing fruit is the outcome. Make no mistake about it. Jesus says that's, that's the desired result, is that you would bear fruit. But your job description is to remain. Bearing fruit is the outcome, but it's not our responsibility. It's not your responsibility. So there's an importance of sequence. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it really well. He says, put first things first, and then you get the second things thrown in. 
If you put second things first, you're going to lose both first and second things. So in our context this morning, you cannot bear fruit without abiding. You might do this right here, tape an apple to it, but that's not real fruit. You must be connected to the vine. Abide first, then fruit naturally follows, right? Abide first, then fruit follows. In fact, in verse 5, he says that apart from abiding, apart from staying close to him, we can do nothing of eternal significance. Now, it's a curious uh, phrase that he says. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if we're honest, there's a lot of things that we can do apart from him. Nick Saban's been doing it for five years, okay? Sorry. (laughs) Right, like, as humans, we can build buildings, and we can win championships, and we can do all these things, but they're not lasting. So I think what Jesus is saying here is that apart from me, apart from being connected to me and intimately linked, you will do nothing of eternal significance. Your lives will not matter unless they're connected to me. Okay, so, get it. It's not bearing fruit. It's not producing fruit. It's abiding. But you still haven't told me what to do, Britt. Anybody frustrated with me yet? I'm kind of frustrated with me. What am I supposed to do? Jesus, just give me like three steps. Something, please. Well, all I can come up with in my research this week is that abiding is primarily three things. Number one, it's being connected to Jesus. It's being dependent upon Jesus. And then there's this remaining in him, this continuance with him. Abiding in Jesus means having a life-giving connection to him. I believe that we have to um, be connected to him first. There has to be some kind of change and transfer wherein we are connected to the true vine because there's a lot of false vines, aren't there? So there has to be union with Christ, a saving relationship. And what he says in verse 4 is beautiful. We abide in him and he abides in us. There's this mutual abiding that's awesome. If there is no connection, there is no life and no fruit. No fruit will ever come of this. Okay? So there must be union. Number two, abiding means dependence. The branch is dependent upon the vine for everything. The branch is simply the conduit. And so everything that it gets, it gets from the vine. If you need a hashtag, it might be this. Without the vine, we ain't got no wine. Okay? Without the vine, we have no wine. You cannot produce grapes without the vine. Three, abiding is continuing or remaining in Jesus. And I think this simply means that we do everything in our power. Here, there's, you, you want a job description? Here it is. To trust. To depend on him. There's your work. To abide in Jesus and to persevere in his teachings. So what he said back in chapter 8 when he told the disciples, abide, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So he says in verse 7, abide in my word, here in chapter 15. Then in verse 19, it says that we are to abide in his love. So I think our two, two job descriptions really are abide in his words, and then to abide in his love. Put simply, abiding means keeping the words of Jesus the forefront of our hearts and our minds and remembering his great love for us. 
And I realize that all this is still nebulous. It's abstract. And so let me just tell you a little bit how this looks for me. Um, Katie and I have had a pretty rough year uh, medically. Um, And at each instance, there's been this moment where a 100-foot monster of fear was staring down at us. And so there's been these moments of submission um, to Christ. And here's a few examples of how that looked. Uh, When Addison, my youngest, went back to get ear tubes, uh, which I know is a very simple surgery, but when it's your nine-month-old daughter and she's in a hospital gown and they're about to put her under, it's basically the worst thing in the world. My prayer was something like this. Jesus, you have to show up here. It is very clear to me in this moment that I am not in control. There is nothing I can do to preserve my daughter's life. I just signed a release form of all the bad things that could happen. And they do happen. Jesus, I arrest my control. You said in your word that you know how many hairs are upon her head. Help me to trust that you will take care of her. Lord, you love her far more than I do. Lord, I trust. Help me overcome my distrust. There's radical dependence upon Jesus because he's the only one. She was in the hands of an amazing surgeon, a good friend of ours. But at the end of the day, only God could preserve her, right? In June, when they wheeled me back to the uh, cath lab at Methodist, Uh, My prayer was something like this. I I can't remember exactly because of what they were shooting into my IV. But it was something like this. Jesus, I'm I'm happy to go to Narnia in a few minutes, but I'm pretty sure my girls won't be as happy. And so, Lord, I I need you to sustain me. I don't know what they're going to find in there. And this is the first time in my life I've ever felt mortal, if I'm honest. Jesus, it's very clear to me I have no control here. I can't even move anymore. Jesus, please preserve me. You're the only one who can. Then a few weeks later, the bills came. And my prayer was something like this. God, you said in your word that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Could I get a cow, please? Could you just send a cow so that I can sell it? Preferably one that looks really good so we can get a lot of money at the stock show. Lord, you have to provide for us financially. I am dependent upon you for this. Right? This is what dependence looks like. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever remains, stays with, abides in me, And I in him. He is the one that bears much fruit. So for whatever that is for you, right? For me, I know that abiding and and going further into dependence is finding a quiet place. It's it's listening to certain worship albums. It's being in his word. Um, It's it's having the Bible app on my phone and getting the the verse notifications and being in a Bible reading plan, which I'm slightly behind Brian. I'm going to catch up, though. He's one of my accountability partners. I'm going to catch up, though. Right? Like, the work that we have to do is to stay close to Jesus, guys. You see it? 
I know we want a bunch of rules and regulations, but that's religion. It's not relationship. Jesus is calling us into relationship with him. That's what abiding means. And look at the result. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's a very real possibility that we would live lives of desperation and insignificance and that when we die, no one has anything good to say about us. It's a very real possibility for us. And the thing that Jesus is inviting us into here is he's saying, if you'll stay close to me, if you'll abide in me, if you'll stay in my word, abide in my love, you will produce fruit. You're going to produce tons of it. And in fact, that fruit is just fun. Have you guys been a part of it? Have you, have you prayed with someone to receive Christ? Have you thrown a Matthew party at your house and seen the connections that happen? Have you got to witness someone being baptized? It is awesome. And so often we confuse in our lives. We think that we're full of joy, but it's just happiness, and we got a new truck, and we got a promotion, and all the things, right? But Jesus is offering us life. True life, joy-filled life, a joy that doesn't fade. And as we come to the table this morning, how nice to remember that it's the jobs, it's the vine's job to do this. You are meant to produce abundant fruit, but it's not your responsibility. Amen. You guys are meant to produce abundant fruit, but it is not your responsibility. Your job is to stick close to the vine. The cross says, abide, don't strive. The cross says to bear, be a conduit, don't produce. And the cross says, relationship, not religion. Let's pray. Jesus... We thank you that you are the vine, the true vine, the only vine. Father, thank you that you are the vine dresser, the one that is providing for us. You're protecting us. You're pruning and cleaning us so that we might be who we really are. And Lord, just as a human in and of themselves has zero ability to fly. Lord, we in and of ourselves have zero ability to be with you. Lord, we were those branches that were stuck, that were covered. Thanks be to God that while we were still sinners, you died for us, the ungodly. Jesus, would you meet us your table this morning. Remind us of the great price you paid on our behalf. Remind us that we are deeply loved and you've proven it so. Jesus, we need you. Every hour, every second, every millisecond, we need you. Lord, help us to abide in you. 
you might get glory and that we might have your joy to the fullest.